Okay, so this is Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. <laughs> Thanks. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Amen. Amazing. Brilliant. Before we pray, and before I launch in, if you've been at KXC for any length of time, you will know that this is my favourite jacket, um, a precious gift to me. Last time I was preaching in it, I showed you the armpits that were falling apart. I gave a reach out. I abused the platform to ask if anyone knew a tailor that could do a repair work on a jacket like this because it's such a beautiful gift. Um, someone reached out to me, said, I know an incredible tailor. They will fix you. You up and look at the armpits. Praise God. The Lord provides. You heard it here. The Lord provides. Why don't we pray? So, Lord, we ask that you'd come. And as we open up the scriptures, we pray you'd speak to us. You'd impart words that bring life. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're beginning a new teaching series entitled Name Above All Names. The question behind this series is really how do you survive a season of challenge and adversity? More than just how do you survive it, how do you grow through it? We've been through, we continue to journey through an incredibly challenging season. How do we grow in a moment like this? And as we began the, the service, Lydia referenced the book of Hebrews. There's some incredible wisdom in the book of Hebrews about how you not just survive, but grow in a season of struggle. The writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. This is how you grow in a, in a challenging season like this. You fix your eyes on Jesus. From our reading just now in Exodus chapter 3, we know the kind of question that rises to the surface when we are suffering and we are struggling. And the question is like, who am I? Like in a wilderness experience, you become acutely aware of your brokenness, your fragility, the fault lines in your character. And we regularly ask the question in a moment like this, who am I becoming? Like, ah, 
I don't like who I am becoming. Now, Moses had spent 40 years in the wilderness. Like he's running from Pharaoh. He's hit rock bottom. And this encounter with God that happens at the burning bush, the question that comes to the surface for Moses is like, who am I? Insecurity when it comes to his identity. And you'll notice that God doesn't even answer that question, right? So our concern in a season of struggle is the question of our identity. And it's not that that isn't important. It is important. But there's a deeper question, a more important question, and that's around the character and nature of God. Who is God? What do you believe about God? In a season of adversity and struggle, what does that expose about your belief, your understanding, your faith in God. So God engages with Moses, puts aside the question of the identity of Moses and says, I want to draw you into something more important, more powerful. And it's something of my nature, my character, my identity. And he reveals his name. Like this is a turning point in the entire narrative of scripture. Because when God reveals his name to Moses, two things are happening. There's a revelation of God's identity And there's an invitation into relationship. So revelation of identity. Up until this point in the narrative, the Jewish people had been calling God Elohim, which is the generic Hebrew name for God. But remember, ancient culture, most nations were polytheistic. So there were hundreds of gods. The Babylonians had Marduk and a whole pantheon of gods. The Canaanites had Baal and a whole pantheon of gods. The Egyptians had Ray and a whole pantheon of gods. There were so many gods in the ancient world. And this is the God of the Israelites drawing close, wanting to say, look, I want, I want you to know me by my first name. Not just known as a God, but known as the God. Here's my name, it's Yahweh unbelievable moment. don't know if you've ever experienced mistaken identity. I consider myself a bit of an expert in this field. Um, I've got two brothers, Steve, who's part of KXE. My older brother, Tim, leads a church in Birmingham. He's a fairly well-known worship leader. So growing up at Christian conferences all the time, people would approach me, eyes wide with excitement. And they would just approach me like, I love your songs. You are the most amazing songwriter. Now, the first few times this happened, I wasn't really sure of what was going on because what they didn't know is that I am a little bit of a songwriter. (laughs) The difference between me and Tim is no one's heard my songs, right? So when they say, you're the most incredible songwriter, I love your songs, I kind of felt that maybe God had sent some prophetic figures (laughs) to encourage the core of my being. Like, I would be like, Thanks. I kind of feel that too, but like, thank you. That really encourages me. And, and then suddenly it would dawn on me, oh no, they think I'm my brother, Tim. Now at that point, I had three options, right? Option number one is I interject, be like, oh, this is a little bit awkward. I'm not actually Tim. I'm his younger, better looking brother. So this is awkward, but like, yeah, I'm not Tim, but I'll pass it on. I'll pass on the message to him. That's option number one. Option number two is just to roll with it, right? 
just sort of like not to bother interjecting, just be like, that's so kind. Really, really appreciate that. Actually, so much of the credit belongs to my younger brother. He's been an inspiration to me in the area of songwriting. So I really need to pass on a lot of the praise to him. But thanks so much. I've actually got some new songs coming out. I actually got a new album called Beautiful One. It's not about me, it's about God. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for the encouragement, right? So I could either roll with it. That was option number two. And option number three was to say something highly, highly offensive to ruin my brother's reputation, right? Now, you'll be pleased to know I I never went for option number three, but maybe you'll be less pleased to know that more often than not, I just went with option number two. I didn't want to break hearts, right? These people were excited to meet Tim Hughes, so I just rolled with that. And I'm not proud of this, I'm not proud of this. I actually signed many CDs. This, this was in a time when people purchased CDs, would try and find the artist, and they would bring it, can you sign this? It'd be like, oh, okay. Hey, go for it. Have a happy day, which is one of Tim's songs. I thought they'll love that. And then sign it, Pete. I mean, meet Tim. And, and worse still, and I really feel some level of shame around this, I actually signed Bibles too. I don't know if that's worse, but people brought their Bibles. Could you write a message? I'd be like, I feel horrible. This is, I feel dirty, but I'm going to do it. And I would just sign a little message like, I know what that feels like, right? And I knew I had the power to step into that moment and say, I'm not Tim. My name is Pete. I have a unique identity. You see, this is a moment of God stepping in, saying, I'm different to all the other gods. Like, this is a turning point. You're not just going to know me as Elohim, the generic name for God. I want you to know me by my true name, and my name is Yahweh. Unbelievable. But more than just revealing God's identity, this was an invitation towards friendship. Now, I'm known by many names. I'm guessing you are too. So my mates know me as Pete. When I'm in trouble with my dad, he calls me Peter. My doctor knows me as Mr. Hughes. When I was a kid, I was known as Hughesy. University, I was known as Pedro. Some of the staff call me Father Pedro since I got ordained. My wife, B, she calls me Babes and some other names I'm not going to tell you about. Right, so there's so many different names that reveal different sort of levels of knowing me, different levels of intimacy. So someone at KXE came up to me at the end of the service and said, hey, Mr. Hughes, can we have a chat? That, that would feel awkward, right? I'd be like, nah, that's weird. You can know me as Pete. But if someone on the staff team said, hey, babes, can we have a chat at the end of the surface? I'd be like, hey, that's a bit awkward. My wife knows me as babes, not you, John Carter. Like, you've just crossed a threshold and you get back the other side of that line, right? So, So this is a moment when Yahweh draws close and says, okay, I want to draw you into a deeper level of friendship, a deeper level of intimacy. You're to know me as Yahweh. This moment was like a mind-blowing moment for the nation of Israel. This name to the the Jewish community was so precious, so precious in fact they wouldn't even speak it out. They didn't want to pollute the name. They refused to write it down in case it was defaced in any way. So they used other names because the name Yahweh was too precious. Um, They often used the name Hashem, which just means the name. We don't want to use the actual name Yahweh. So we'll just talk about Hashem. 
Sometimes they'd use the name Adonai, the Hebrew word for master or Lord, because the name Yahweh was just so beautiful, so holy. In fact, they eventually developed a new name and they took the the consonants of Yahweh in ancient Hebrew. They didn't use vowels, so only consonants. So they took the consonants Y-H-W-H. And then they took the vowels of Adonai and they put them together like this. And because in Hebrew, Y sound like J's, W sound like V's, you end up with Jehovah. Jehovah, you might have heard of that. That's a way that the Jewish community could talk about God without using this precious name. And whenever they thought of this name, Jehovah, it's like, oh, God revealed to us his unique identity and drew us into friendship. We're on first name terms with the creator of the cosmos. Like the king of the entire universe has drawn so close and invited us to know him by name. Extraordinary. But even after this, there was a huge amount of mystery surrounding the name of God, Yahweh. Now, it's from the Hebrew verb haya, literally meaning to be. I am, you are, he is. Yahweh, I am. I am that I am. But it kind of raises a question. I am, fill in the blank. I am. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. We know that Jesus is the full revelation of God. We know the character and nature of God because it's been revealed in the person of Jesus. Right? He is the image of the invisible God, as Paul says to the church in Colossae. In him, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. In fact, in John's gospel, you find Jesus using seven statements, taking this Hebrew name for God, I am, and beginning to fill in the blanks. Seven statements, seven, the number of completeness, full revelation of God. I'm the good shepherd, I'm the gate for the sheep, I'm the true vine, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth and the life, and the list goes on. So we know the character and nature of God because it's fully revealed in the person of Jesus, right? But as you read through the Old Testament, you watch the nation of Israel step into a greater and greater understanding of God. And God begins to reveal his nature through a number of names. There's eight names in the Old Testament, compound names, Yahweh dot, 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 Yahweh Shema, meaning the Lord is there, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace, Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide, Yahweh Raphae, the Lord who heals, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner or refuge, Yahweh Rahi, the Lord is my shepherd, Yahweh Tzidkanu, the Lord is our righteousness, Yahweh M. Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies you, right? All of these, God revealing, not just his name, but his nature to his people and inviting them to experience his nature, for his nature to become their reality. Now, perhaps the best known of all of the Psalms, Psalm 23, like epic, what a beautiful Psalm. But perhaps part of its beauty is that each of these names is referred to explicitly or implicitly by David in this Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Six verses rammed with the psalmist beginning to proclaim the nature of God. Let's just work through it slowly, right? The Lord is my shepherd, Yahweh Rahi. What does a shepherd do? Guides the sheep towards safety where they can thrive. What does God want to do for you right now in this season of challenge, adversity? Wants you to guide you to the place where you can thrive. Do you want that to become your reality? Well, draw close to God. I lack nothing. Yahweh Jireh. Is there an area of your life where you're in lack, needing provision, whatever that might look like, but aware of deep lack, why don't you bring that lack to God? He will provide. Do you want his nature to become your reality or draw close to God? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Yahweh Shalom. How many are experiencing high levels of anxiety right now? How many are longing for a greater measure of peace? Why don't you bring that anxiety into an encounter with the living God whose name and nature is Yahweh Shalom? And he wants to fill you with a peace that passes all understanding. Yahweh Raphae, he refreshes my soul or restores my soul. The Hebrew word there means to heal. How many are in pain right now, genuinely longing for healing, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual? What are you doing with your pain? Have you thought about bringing it towards God into his presence because his name and his nature is that he heals? Do you want his nature to become your reality? All of these names began to describe the experience of the nation of Israel. It can become your experience too, right? He guides me along the right paths, Yahweh Sikhanu, Yahweh our justice. Anyone experienced injustice in this last season? Like something unfair happening around you and it just stirs up deep frustration. There's this longing for justice. Have you brought that before God? His name and his nature is that he will lead you towards Justice. Why do we take all this stuff to the wrong places when all of this stuff can find healing and satisfaction in God? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you are with me, Yahweh Shema. Whatever we're going through, God isn't absent. He's close to us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, Yahweh Nisi, like the Lord is my refuge. Anyone wanting to hide right now? Anyone been journeying through life just thinking, I want to go to bed and stay in bed for a very long time? Just me, right? I just, I want to hide. I want to find a place of refuge. Have you thought about bringing that to God? 
He is our refuge, our banner, the one we run to in the midst of battle. You anoint my head with oil, Yahweh Im Kadesh, meaning Yahweh who sanctifies us. He anoints us. He sets us apart. He makes us holy. In other words, he anoints us to be the people we've been created by God to be. You don't have to strive to become the real you in your own strength. Have you thought about bringing that before God? These are the names of God. And the names are like an invitation to experience the character and nature of God. Let's just be really honest. We fall so far short of that. God's invitation for us is towards abundance. And more often than not, we're happy just to have a little nibble. To experience a little bit of it. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm revealing my nature and inviting you to experience that as your reality. A.W. Tozer said this. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In a struggle, in a moment of challenge, deep adversity, it shakes us up, right? It begins to sort of question what we really believe about God. What do you believe about God right now? And maybe this teaching series is an invitation onto a journey to discover the goodness of God, right? To taste and see, not just to intellectually understand some new names, that's really cool, but to taste and see the goodness of God. Let me close with this. And when I say close, still 10 minutes off. We're going to look at one of the names. And then week by week over the next four or five weeks. And each service, by the way, we're going to look at a different name. So each Sunday, there'll be two different names that we unpack. So if you miss one, you might want to listen to it and catch up on what you've missed. But today, we want to look at briefly Yahweh Shema. Yahweh is there. So Ezekiel 48. Ezekiel is a book in the Old Testament. He was a prophet operating at the time when the nation of Israel were in Babylon. And whilst they're in Babylon, in other words, in exile, in a season of real struggle, a season of suffering, right? Not just two years of COVID. We're talking 70 years of oppression. So genuine struggle. And whilst they're in Babylon, he has some Epic, epic visions. But the very last chapter of Ezekiel 48, um, in fact, the very last verse of the last chapter, he's caught up in this vision of the new Jerusalem. Now, remember, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. So Jerusalem's in a state of ruins right now. But he has this vision of what a restored and renewed Jerusalem might look like. And I'm not going to read the entire passage because it's unbelievably dull. Um, But I will read the last verse of the last chapter of the book of Ezekiel. The distance all around, this is the new Jerusalem, will be 18,000 cubits. How fascinating is that? Right? That's why I haven't read the whole passage. Um, And then you have this statement. And the name of the city from that time on will be, and this is the compound name, Yahweh Shema. Right? From that point on, the truest thing about the new Jerusalem will be the presence of God. The defining feature of the new Jerusalem will be the presence of God. Now fast forward to the very end of the narrative, Revelation 21. 
And this is the Apostle John having a vision of the end of the story. This is what Ezekiel was caught up in, in his vision. So John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a renewed heaven and earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, that's the new Jerusalem, heaven and earth, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Ezekiel said, from that point on, the city will be known as Yahweh Shema, because God is there dwelling amongst them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Right. This is An incredible passage of restoration, renewal, redemption, right? How is that redemption and renewal possible? Because Yahweh's there. Yahweh Shema, right? So the end of the whole narrative of scripture is really about Yahweh Shema. The very beginning of the narrative of scripture, what's the defining feature of the Garden of Eden? It's God walking and talking with humanity. In other words, Yahweh Shema. Now, this revelation of this name comes in Ezekiel when the people are in Babylon. So the question they're really asking is, is where is God in the midst of decreation? When life sucks and when you're experiencing oppression, where is God then? And one of the incredible things of the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 10, Ezekiel has a vision of the glory of God appearing in human likeness. You can read it, chapter 1, chapter 10. It's a very bizarre vision that he has. But where does the glory of the Lord in human likeness appear in this vision to Ezekiel? And the answer is, by a river in Babylon. Now that might not sound very significant. Trust me, it's highly significant. I could see some blank faces like, yeah, say more. The Jewish people prayed towards Jerusalem because the glory of the Lord dwell in the temple in Jerusalem. When the people in Babylon, when they prayed, they turned towards Jerusalem to pray because the glory of the Lord resided in Jerusalem. And when Ezekiel has this vision, the glory of the Lord is with him in the midst of Babylon, that is Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. Oh my goodness, God, you're with us. This feels like hell on earth, but you are here with us. That's mind-blowing. When we think about hell on earth, what comes to mind? And probably one of the things that would come to mind, because it's in recent memory, at least for us, Um, in the last hundred years or so, would be the atrocities of the Second World War. The Holocaust. Auschwitz. When people had experienced such trauma, the question inevitably rose, like, where's God in the midst of this? One of the authors that has written quite a lot about the experience of the Jewish people in Auschwitz, in concentration camps, Eli Wiesel. And he was a survivor of Auschwitz, and one of his best-known pieces of work is called Night, 
where he explains what the Jewish people went through in some of these concentration camps, where they were forced to watch family members hanged, where they were forced to watch their nearest and dearest tortured and executed. And this is an extract from his work, Night. Then came the march past the victims. The two men were no longer alive. Their tongues were hanging out, swollen and bluish. But the third rope was still moving. This is hanging from the gallows. The child, too light, was still breathing. And so he remained for more than half an hour, lingering between life and death, writhing before our eyes, quite possibly before his own mum and dad. And we were forced to look at him at close range. He was still alive when I passed him. His tongue was still red, his eyes not yet extinguished. Behind me, I heard the same man asking, for God's sake, where is God? And from within me, I heard a voice answer, where is he? This is where, hanging here from this gallows. In other words, where is God in this? He's dead. You can't believe in God when this is happening all around us. How can you believe in a loving God with this going on, this level of suffering? It won't surprise you that a wave of atheism swept through Germany and swept through Europe after the Second World War. How could a loving God allow this? A number of years later, another prolific writer emerged, Jürgen Moltmann. Jürgen Moltmann was a German soldier during the Second World War fighting for the Nazi regime. He was captured by the British, ended up in a British prisoner of war camp, and in that camp came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, after the war, he often wrote in, in these different books that he wished he'd died because to survive and then hear the stories of what the Nazi regime had done, he was just like, it's so brutal. I, I wish I'd died and never heard just the full impact of, of what the Nazi regime had done, right? But in his journey towards faith, he wrote a book and it became his defining piece of work called The Crucified God. And in this book, he begins to engage with the Eli Wiesel extract. And he basically says, do you know what? Eli Wiesel was asking the question, where is God? This is where hanging here from this gallows. And Jürgen Moltmann said, do you know what? He was right. That's exactly where God is. God is with us in the midst of the suffering. You see, this is one of the unique things of the Christian faith, that we believe in a God who bleeds and suffers with us and suffers for us and can lead us through dark valleys towards green pastures and still waters where we find replenishment. We believe in a God who is with us, Yahweh Shema, even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And this book, The Crucified God, exploded. People rediscovering at the very heart of our faith as we look at the cross. 
Brené Brown, another author you'll know well, she wrote this. She said, I thought faith would be like an epidural to take away the pain. Instead, it was like a midwife saying, this is going to hurt, but I'm with you. A new life is coming. I'm guessing many of you will have watched her TED Talk, which again, it exploded a number of years ago. She tells the story of her breakdown that triggered then a whole load of research she did on the subject of shame. Um, and again, then her writings and her talks exploded on the internet. What she didn't say in her TED Talk is that when she had this breakdown, one of the key moments was her rediscovering her faith in Jesus Christ. And in one of the interviews, talking about her faith, this is what she said, I thought faith would be like an epidural. Now, if anyone in the room has experienced childbirth or been present watching someone give birth, you'll know there's a moment when the agony is so extreme, the woman cries out, epidural, right? That's normally the, the time the bloke says, I need gas and air, I need gas and air. Um, but the woman's saying, epidural, I need epidural. The, the pain is too much, it's overwhelming. They cry out for an epidural, right? But there's always a midwife present. And what's the role of a midwife in a moment like that, the point of greatest pain? The midwife is there saying, your baby's coming. Keep pushing. Like new life is about to arrive. I know it hurts, but you are not alone. Normally holding your hand, they're saying, you can do this. I am with you. I am with you. New life is coming. This is God and how he acts towards us in a moment of deep struggle. It's like, I am with you. I am with you. New life is coming, Yahweh. Shema. I thought faith would be like an epidural to take away the pain. Instead, it was like a midwife saying, this is going to hurt, but I'm with you. New life is coming. I know that some of us in this room have experienced a greater measure of darkness in the last two years, perhaps, than you've experienced before in your life, and it's shaken you. And you've been asking some of these big questions, where is God in the midst of this? Who am I? Ah, who am I becoming like God? Help. And I want you to know that God isn't a distant deity. He's not far off. In this valley, God is Yahweh Shema, wanting to reveal to us he is present. He wants to draw close and he wants to lead you through this dark valley, take you by the hand and lead you towards those green pastures those still waters where your entire being finds replenishment. That's his name and that's his nature. He is Yahweh Shema. Why don't we stand together?